follow the marquee and come to the Monday matinee. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Hi there and welcome to Sonic Society Season 12, Episode 508. I'm your host, Jack Ward. Hopefully David Alt will be back with us next week after he's finished recovering from his whirlwind tour with the No Sleep Podcast live show. Can't wait to hear all about it. Tonight we head off to the Old West with Wesley Clifford's Club 50 audio, Boot Hill, right here on the Sonic Society. Club 40 Audio presents... The Factory. Back once again, I see. My, my, you must really like it here. Quite a rare thing in this day and age to see someone who has as much courage as you do. Were you interested in a physician here at the factory? There's always room for one more here, and as with any good job, it comes with multiple benefits. You'll have access to the acid pools during your off hours, and you'll never have to worry about health insurance again. Of course, we all do all of our work at night here, and in the dark, but don't worry. You'll get used to that soon enough. If you'd like, we can make final arrangements now. No? Well, that's quite all right. Just remember, the offer is always open. I knew you'd be coming around again soon, so if you don't mind, I've selected a particular little item for tonight's trip down memory lane. It's right here in this glass case. It's beautiful, is it not? The mother-of-pearl hand grips are a particularly nice touch. Oh, don't worry, it's not loaded. This six-shooter hasn't been used for years. Looks a bit like a Colt 45, but of course it wasn't made by Colt or any firearms manufacturer around today. It was made right here in the factory. This gun has traveled around the world and back again. It took us quite some time to track it down, and it has all manner of stories to tell. It was used for good and for evil. Perhaps one day I will be able to tell you all the stories behind this gun, but as with any good story, it's best to start at the beginning. The year was 1898. The place? A small California town that no longer exists. Just as the last rays of sunlight faded from the sky on the second to last day of October.
Say there, stranger. I don't need all that dirt in here. Dust yourself off before you come in. Wipe that mud off your face and the horse trough for all I care, but don't you bring it in here. That's much better, mister. Don't mean to put you out, but that was quite a bit of dirt you had on you. Don't mind a man working hard in the fields all day coming in for a nip of whiskey. But I can't have you making mud all over my establishment, neither. Now, what can I get you? <coughs> Give me a mug of beer. Coming right up. You new in town, mister? Can't say I've seen you around before. No. No, I've been just outside of town for a little over a year or more now. Well, I've only been here about six months myself. Took this place over from old man Brendan when he decided to go and try his fortune with Jeff Webster up in the far country. Far country? Yeah, you know, Klondike, Yukon, all that gold rush nonsense off in Alaska. Just looking for new and exciting ways to get yourself killed, if you ask me. We're just starting to get the West team down some, and what did they do? They're looking for gold in the worst country God ever made. Weren't hardly no gold here in California. Won't hardly be no gold up there neither. What do I owe you? All I have on me are these two silver dollars. That's all right, son. First one is free. It's on the house to newcomers, but if you'll be wanting a second, you need to pay for that one. Thank you. It's a mighty fine beer, sir. Mighty fine. So what brings you into town for the first time in over a year, Mr... Stoddard. Tom Stoddard. Glad to meet you, Mr. Stoddard. So I'll ask you again, what brings you into my bar? I came here to find the man who killed me. I beg your pardon, my hair must be going. D did you say... You heard right. I assume by that you mean the man who tried to kill you? No. No, I meant what I said. What'd he do? Steal your land? Your girl? No. I mean he killed me. Put a bolt through my heart. Right outside in that street out there. I was walking back to this very bar one year ago, and someone shot me. Say there, young fellow, that's a pretty big blood stain on your shirt. You better... Oh, that's a neat little hole in it, too. Yes, and a not-so-neat, much larger hole in the middle of my back. But I'd rather you didn't have to see that one. I'm rather afraid to take off my hat, too. Seeing as how I don't know what's underneath it. Or... Not underneath it anymore. Then all that dirt on you was... Yes. The dirt from my grave. But what brought you... What brought me back? I'm not altogether sure. Last thing I remember was being shot in the street. Not even that so much. I only remember waking up having the knowledge that I'd been shot and killed. I was buried in my best Sunday coat. My six-gun at my hip. I know that I've got this one night to find out who did it and why. When the sun comes out in the morning, I return to wherever it was I came from. I have the notion that I knew more, but that knowledge was taken from me, so I wouldn't let anything slip. Well, um, what brought you here to my tavern? That's the one other thing I know. The killer is someone in this tavern. And until I find him, I'm afraid I can't let anybody leave. Sit down, mister. I was just going to use the privy. I'm sorry, but nobody's going out that door till they have my say-so. So you're just going to have to hold your water until we get this thing settled. 
Now sit down. I said sit down. Now hold on just a minute, son. What do you think you were... Mercy sake alive. Stoddard? Tom Stoddard, is that you, boy? That's right, Sheriff. I'm here. And just like Lily Langtree, I'm here for one night only. So sit down and enjoy the show. But how? I saw you buried last year. Put the dollars on your eyes myself. Doesn't matter how I'm here. Fact is, I'm here. And very soon, someone in this tavern will be going back to the grave with me. Now I want everyone to just sit there and listen real quiet-like. And keep those hands up on the table where I can see them. You there. Up, up, up. That's right. Good. Now, near as I can count, there are 15 people in this bar. Now I want everyone that's been in town for less than a year to put up their right hand. That'd be a gun hand for most of you. That's right. Good. Now, Sheriff, does that look about right to you? I don't know, as I can say properly. Uh, be honest, I don't know everyone in town. Come on, Sheriff, you know me. You know I ain't been here more than four weeks, and I got to use the privy. It's true, Stoddard. He, he's new. Uh, be a gent and let the man go. All right. Out with you, then. All right. Now, who else has been here less than six months? Barkeep, you seem to know who's new and who's not. Or else you'd be handing out a whole mess of drinks for free every night. I want everyone who's been here for less than six months to line up. Single file, if you please. And head past the barkeep. If he says you can go, you go. But if he says you're lying... Good. Thank you, Cincinnati. Good. He's all right. He's Cincinnati's. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Right. You're fine. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Cincinnati's. That leaves us with just nine people beside you, me, and the barkeep, Sheriff. Reckon you can confirm the rest of them? Well, I should hope so. All right, the rest of you. Now, if you ain't been here more than a year, I want you to stand up. Well, Sheriff. Yep, they all check out. All right, the Sheriff says you're good to go, so go. And don't none of you try to be a hero, neither. I'm already dead and I've got nothing to lose. So if you have any bright ideas about trying to take a shot at me, I can tell you... It won't do you any good. Now get. Well, now, let's see. How many patrons does that leave us with? Seems like there's only three of you left. Except in the sheriff, the barkeep, and myself, of course. Old man, state your name and business. Kenneth Wheeler. But most folks around here call me Cookie. Seeing as how I was the cook on most of the wagon trains came out this year away. How long have you been living here in town? Well, let's see. Civil War ended in 65, and I was the first dragon train here in 78. And I did that now on to 15 years. So I reckon I've been here oh, five years. Do you remember me? Of course I do. I remember just about everyone that comes through this town. You was here back over a little over a year ago. Said you was just passing through. Was waiting for that stage that comes through every Wednesday said you were heading to San Francisco. That's right. Good for you, old man. I ain't that old, son. I'm only in my fifties. You ain't been in your fifties for at least five years now. State your name and business, sir. 
Mel Garner is the name, and I remember you too. You cheated me out of fifteen dollars here at this very table. I was mad as a hornet about it too, and if you was to put that pea shooter away, I'd have it out with you right here and now. I mean to collect that money back. I've no doubt that you would. Might be you were even willing to kill him. I wouldn't exactly set out with that as the end goal, but I wouldn't exactly cry over it if that's how things turned out. Well, Mister Garner. It seems someone may have beaten you to the punch, or maybe they didn't. And what about you, son? I reckon I yeah, wasn't... you, the one sitting in the corner with his back to me. What hasn't moved since I announced my intentions? Turn around and face me, Frank Cheney, as I live and breathe, or rather, as I don't anymore. No thanks to you. You come into this bar. Messing up people's happy times, and you don't expect nobody to be putting a stop to it. What are you gonna do, Frank? Kill me again? If an I killed this man, he'd be in a pine box in the ground right now. I've killed many a man, but when I kills him, they stays dead. Well, maybe you've got a high toll to pay on the other side, Mister Cheney. Mayhap be that you got so many waiting for you on the other side, as they got up a collection to send me back. Make sure you join us before you take any more lives. Add it to your toll. You come in here with some fancy makeup and a hole in your shirt, and expect us to believe that you're Lazarus, his own self, raised up from the grave for revenge? I say we put your claim to the test, and I blow another six holes in you right here and now, and see if you're still standing on the other side of it. Put that gun away, Cheney. You fire so much as one round, and I'll have you strung up for murder at dawn, whether this man falls down dead or not. The man came through last year. He was shot dead, and I buried him myself. This man is dead. It's the first time I've ever seen a dead man walking on his own two feet after the execution. Well, that's funny. I think I'm looking at another dead man walking right here and now. That does it, Sheriff. Are you going to handle this, or am I? Look, Cheney, I don't know if what this man is saying about being dead is actually true or not, but he seems to be breathing, or else he wouldn't be able to talk. And he sure don't seem to be decayed as a man ought to be after laying in the earth for a full twelve months. But at the same time, he brings up the fact that a man was killed a year ago, and honestly, no one has ever been punished for it. I don't know if he's the dead man's brother or a dead man himself, but one thing's for darn sure. He's come a powerful long way to have this out, and I want to see justice done as well. Sheriff, I'll have your badge for this. If this isn't the man I buried last year, and it all turns out to be some kind of prank, you won't have to take it, Frank. I'll give it to you myself. Now sit down. <sighs> What in the Sam Hill? Oh, for mercy's sake! I forgot about Peggy. Peggy, where's that music coming from? It's a melodeon. I had it shipped in from New York five months ago. Turn off the melodeon and come in down here, Peggy. There's doings going on you should know about. Now, just what is going on here? The bar is practically empty, and here's this man standing with his gun out, like he's gonna rob the place. Hello, Miss Peggy. Remember me? No, I don't remember you. I don't remember ever seeing you before in my life. I would have thought you'd been in San Francisco by now. Seeing as how the last time we met, your father was dying. And you had no way of getting to him if and you didn't have ten dollars by the time the stage came in. Tom, Tom Stoddard. How's it possible? 
You were shot dead in the street. I saw it happen. And I buried him two days later after you caught the stage out of town, Miss Peggy. But it's him, all right. You say you saw it happen. Just what exactly did you see? You're dead. I know you're dead. You're dead. I'm dead, but I'm back. I've just got this one night to find out what happened. Now answer me, Peggy. What did you see that night? I... I... <gasps> Dad blame women, folks. Can't hold up to nothing without fading dead away. Taint the kind of woman I'd put up with for five minutes. Well, when Slewfoot Sue finds her way back from the moon, I'll send her right to your door. Till then, make yourself useful and get some water. Uh, don't step out that door, Mr. Cheney, or I will put a hole in you. I wasn't going out that door anyway, you varmint. You folks don't know nothing, no how. What she needs is a good stiff shot of white lightning. That'll wake her up and have her ready to dance a can-can. You say you wouldn't take a shine to Peggy here. Yet, as I recall it, you were quite angry when you thought I was trying to make friendly with her last year. She weren't like that last year. Leastways so as that I knew about it. And besides, a man's allowed to change his predilections, ain't he? All right, here you go, Peggy. Come on. <laughs> Drink this down. <laughs> Is that from Bill Jones still? <coughs> that would peel paint off the walls. Oh, give me another. <laughs> That's one thing you say about Peggy. She ain't no sissy when it comes to her liquor. I ain't a sissy when it comes to nothing, Kenneth Weaver. I've rebuffed you enough times for you to know that. <laughs> Tis true. Tis true. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's just this saying Tom gave me a turn. I know that Tom Stoddard is dead, and this must be his twin or uh, something. There has to be a reasonable explanation. Yeah, I'll give you a reasonable explanation. This varmint's a liar. Nobody shot in the heart like that could be up and walking. My guess is that Tom Stoddard never really died. This is all some city slicker trick to get money out of this town. I bet he's some kind of illusionist like that Eisenheim over in England or Transylvania or something. It was Vienna? Wherever. And he's trying to play some sort of long con on us. No, Tom Stoddard is dead. I saw him killed with my own eyes, and the sheriff says he buried him. That's right, I did. You folk keep talking about me like I'm not standing right beside you. I am Tom Stoddard, and not two hours ago, I climbed out through six feet of dirt to get a breath of fresh air. Now, I don't know how it happened either, but I'm here to find my killer, and one of you is him. That's right. The way I figure it, one of you three men, Cookie, Mel Garner, or Frank Cheney, must have done in Tom. And none of you are leaving until we find out exactly who and why. Four men, Sheriff. You can't include the barkeep, son. I know for a fact he wasn't here until... I don't mean the barkeep. I mean you. You, Sheriff. Me? <laughs> don't be a ridiculous boy. I hardly knew you. Let alone had a quarrel with you. What reason would I have to kill you? Just as much as any other man here. I was only in town for two days. Not long enough to make any real enemies. There might have been something I said. Something you wanted. Or maybe you'd gone too long without a good killing in this town. People will begin to question whether or not you were necessary. There's any one of a million reasons why each of you would want to kill me. Which I might or might not know about. And we've only got till dawn to figure it out. Well, you might as well start with me. I know I didn't kill him, but I probably had the most reason to. I'd like to clear my name and go home. I've had a long day. 
That's exactly what a killer would say to put you off. You'd know all about that, wouldn't you, Frank Cheney? I'll thank you to keep your opinions to yourself. If we've only got until first light, like Stoddard says, we don't want to waste any of it quarreling. I don't care what Mr. Stoddard or anybody else says. I ain't taking the rap for this one. I'm leaving now. Sit down, Cheney. I expected as much from you, Tom. And you, Sheriff. But you, Peggy? That's right, me too. I want to know who it was that killed Tom. He done me a kindness, and, and I want justice done. <sighs> Go ahead, Mr. Garner. Tell us your side of the story. My side of the story is very simple. I was sitting in this very tavern when Mr. Stoddard came into the bar. He didn't look like much to me, but he practically made a beeline for me, sat down and said that he had heard I was the best card player in these parts, and he wanted to play a hand or two against me. We played seven hands, all told, and he lost six of them, all but the last. Well, by that point, the pot had grown to $15.47, which I don't need to tell you is a hefty bit of coin. He had staked himself with IOU notes, claiming that he had the money, but that he didn't like to be carrying so much coin about with him. I could see he was a man of some property from his clothes and figured that nice Sunday coat you buried him in was worth at least half the pot, so I figured on getting my money one way or another. Then he claimed to have won the last hand by all appearances he had. Then he declared our little game over and was ready to walk away with my fifteen. Hang on there, friend, I says. Give me a chance to win my money back. Oh, no, he says. Mama always told me to quit while I was ahead. So I called him out for a no-good cheater. Caused a bit of a stir here, but then the bouncer came over and had words with me. I told him the situation, and he said he didn't care. Whatever monies had exchanged hands would stay exchanged unless Mr. Stoddard wanted to play another round. Mr. Stoddard said he'd do the square thing and give me one last chance to win my money back, double or nothing, for draw of the highest card. I agreed. The bouncer shuffled to prove things were on the up and up, and I drew the ten of spades, and Mr. Stoddard drew the queen of hearts which meant I lost and got nothing. We all know how double or nothing works. Get to your point. Well, and that was the end of it. I was, and am, by the way, sore about losing so much money to a low-down, no-good-for-nothing cheater. That sound about right, Mr. Stoddard? It was the eight of spades, not the ten. And I didn't cheat. But, yeah, that seems to be about the long and the short of it. But that still doesn't clear you from being the one who shot this man. Where were you when he was killed? I was in this bar, sitting at that very table over there, playing cards with another fella. The gun went off. We all rushed to the door and saw a body lying in the street. Cookie came up to the body and turned him over and told us all it was the stranger. That's what he called him. And there it was. So you see, Sheriff, there's no way I could have killed him. Can anyone confirm that, Mr. Garner? Not before daybreak, no. Mr. Coburn, who I was sitting with, moved back east to Philadelphia. The bartender is off to the Yukon, and Cookie was out across the way. Peggy was here, but she was in the back preparing for her next show, like she was just a bit ago. She came running with the rest of us, pushed her way out from the back, and ran to his body, sobbing and crying. 
I reckon she was the only one in this town that spilled tears over you, Mr. Stoddard. That's right. Just like he said. I was in the back, behind the stage, opposite to the street. I heard the gunshot and came running out to you. Done broke my heart seeing how you was so sweet to me. I'm afraid I can't let you go just yet, Mr. Garner. Your story sounds fair enough, but there's no way to confirm it. If there's one thing I know about card players, being one myself, I know the good lies. What about you, Cookie? What do you have to say for yourself? Well, sir, I was over at the restaurant just like Mr. Carter says. You know I work there on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and every second Saturday. Well, this was a Tuesday, and I'll just clean the place down and lock it up for the night. I just turned the key in the lock when I sees this boy walking down the street towards the tavern. I'd seen him about time and hadn't said more than two words to him other than good day and nice weather, pleasantries. I said good evening to him and he says mighty fine night, kind of night that makes you happy to be alive. And I says back, yes sir. I turned my back to make sure the door was locked and bang, I turned around and there he was. Lying graveyard dead. Didn't even have time to bleed much. His heart stopped so fast. I ran out to him and saw there was a hole in his back as big as a baseball. Turned him over and saw he'd been shot in the chest. By then, everyone was coming to the windows and doors asking, What happened? Who'd been shot? I told him it was a stranger. And Miss Peggy comes running out to him. I called the doctor, who's moved on since then. And then the doc and the sheriff carted him away. And that was about the end of my doings with Mr. Stoddard here. That seems about right to me. I don't recall Mr. Weaver here hardly at all. No offense meant, sir. None taken, Sonny. And call me a cookie. Everybody does. Unless Mr. Stoddard has an objection. I don't see why you can't leave, cookie. You seem to be the person here with the least motive and opportunity. Why does he get to leave? I thought we were all under suspicion. He gets to leave, we should all get to leave. Calm yourself, Frank Cheney. I ain't going no place. I want to see how all this turns out. I've been walking the wastelands ever since the end of the war. And I've seen a lot of things. But I ain't never seen a dead man up and walking alive again and out for revenge. I'd regret leaving the rest of my days. And since you're in such a hurry to be getting out of here, you can go ahead and tell your story now, Frank. I ain't got no story to tell. I was upstairs in my room above the tavern to sleep when this varmint went and got himself shot. I walked to the window, looked down in the street, heard Cookie say it was a stranger, thought he'd gotten what was coming to him and went back to bed. That's that. Well, that's a strange thing to say about a man you had no commerce with beforehand. You'd have to be completely devoid of the milk of human kindness to have that opinion of a man you never met. I have no doubt that Frank Cheney is the meanest son of a coyote you'll ever meet in your life. He'd have that opinion of a man he never met. But I happen to know he had met Mr. Stoddard and had a reason to quarrel with him. And what was that reason, Miss Peggy? That reason was me. I knew it. I knew it. A woman. Every time there's a woman at the heart of it. Didn't I tell you there was a woman at the heart of this a year ago when it happened, Mel Garner? As I recall, you did, Cookie. You truly did. Would you like to elaborate, Frank? I said my piece, Sheriff. That's all I've got to say. 
That's my story, and I'm a sticking to it. Mr. Stoddard, Miss Peggy, either of you care to elaborate? I'll tell it, Sheriff. Mr. Stoddard isn't on trial here, and seeing as he done me a kindness, and it might have been me that brought harm upon him, I feel I, I could best explain. I was performing here at the tavern much as I am now. I wasn't the only girl here at the time, and I was, I was less popular than Miss Blake, who's since moved on. So I was only just getting enough to live on at the time. Well, Mr. Stoddard here, he rode into town on the very day I received a telegram from my family back in San Francisco, saying my father was deathly ill and that I needed to come back home as soon as possible and it might be the last time. Well, sir, that, that time I didn't have more than a dollar to my name. And to catch the stage to San Francisco was going to cost at least eight dollars and food and lodging along the way was going to be another two and all told I needed... At least ten dollars to make it home. I didn't know what I was going to do. I loved my father so much, and I just couldn't bear the thought of letting him pass from this world without seeing him one last time. So that night, I was here performing at the tavern, and between the shows, Mr. Brennan would ask us to come down among the men, have them buy us drinks and the like, which meant more sales, as having a drink together always required him to buy two. Well, sir, I sat down next to Mr. Stoddard and told him my story, and... Wouldn't you know, Mr. Stoddard being the kind soul that he is, or, or was. How should I refer to you, Mr. Stoddard, in the past or present tense? I don't reckon it matters much, ma'am, as I won't be here much longer. But go ahead and use the past tense. Mr. Stoddard, being kind as he was, gave me a whole twelve dollars just to make sure I had enough to make it home in time. That's when Mr. Cheney here decided that he didn't want me leaving town. As if I had belonged to him. You see, Mr. Cheney had taken a shine to me. Didn't like me talking to other men, folks. Let alone having a drink with them. You know darn well what he was actually paying for. And he would have collected, too, all the way to San Fran. I wasn't going to have you running off with no man like that. I was to try to protect your honor, you two-bit ho- That'll be quiet enough of that, Frank. You were given a chance to speak and you gave it up. Now hush up and let Miss Peggy finish. Then, if Mr. Stoddard feels like it, you might be given a chance to speak again. Frank comes over telling Mr. Stoddard that he ain't got no right to be giving a lady that kind of money. He says if I was any sort of decent woman, I'd be throwing the money back in his face. He challenged Tom Stoddard to a showdown right here in the middle of the street. Tom, he tried to explain that he was helping me, but Frank wouldn't hear none of it. He took hold of Mr. Stoddard and was ready to drag him out in the... Except that's when you walked in, Sheriff. You broke it up, and Frank left. That's about as much as I know, except what I already told you about when Tom was shot. I don't know if Tom and Frank talked any more for that time, but if there's one man in this town, one man in this bar that shot Tom, and you asked me to wager on it, my answer would be Frank Cheney every time. Why, you dirty little... No name calling from you, Frank Cheney, or I might just have to assume she's right. And let Mr. Stoddard have his way. Doggone no good, Sheriff. Thinking I don't know what to do here, and I'll just want to put a bullet in it. Tom, did you or Mr. Cheney speak any more after that time in the bar? Nary a word, Sheriff. I'd seen him a couple of times the next day, but I always kept my distance. I figured I'd cause enough trouble in this little town, and I just wanted to catch the stage and get on to the construction job that was waiting for me in San Francisco. I stayed in my room most of the next day. I only ventured out for lunch and dinner. Hardly spoke to anyone. I left the restaurant and went over to the general store to buy some supplies for the trip the next morning. 
I always like to have some penny candy and a bag of licorice and maybe some jerky for a long coach ride. I'd bought all those just as the store was closing up, and I was walking back to my room past this tavern when I heard a loud sound. Before I could react to it, I was on the ground. And near as I can tell, my heart had stopped, because the next thing I remember is crawling out of my grave. Of all the hogwash! That leaves only you, Sheriff. What do you have to say for yourself? I have no defense, but I also have no motive. I was in my office when I heard the gunshot. I came out and all had transpired. You and I had no words, except when I had to break up the argument betwixt you and Frank. You did me no harm and had nothing that I wanted. The only person who can confirm where I was was my deputy at the time. He was shot dead himself three months ago by a bank robber who only made off with $27.47. That sounds about right to me, but all the same, as I said before, you knew I was a stranger here. You could have had any number of motives to use my death for personal gain. The way I see it, the only man I can trust is Cookie. Somebody in this room is a liar. I know a setup when I hear one. You all been fixing to hang me since I came into this town three years ago, and now you think you've got me. Well, I'd rather die in a hail of bullets than do a dance of rope's end. Now just everybody stay right where you are. You fire that gun one time, Mr. Cheney, and you'll be in my jail cell for the rest of your very short life, even if you didn't kill Mr. Stark. Stay back, Sheriff. Don't reach for that peace shooter at your waist. I'll have no choice but to blast you. And what do you think I'll do to you, Mr. Cheney, if you don't put those guns down right now? You varmint. You snuck up on me. First rule of cards, Mr. Cheney, never let them see your hand. I think we've all seen yours. Now drop them. And to use Mr. Gardner's analogy, someone did show their hand, and I can prove they're alive. Mr. Stoddard, I knowed who it was that killed you. At least where's the thing I do? Sit down, Mr. Cheney. Mr. Garner, I've got my pistol trained on him now, as does Mr. Stoddard. He won't try to run again. Go ahead, Cookie. Tell us what you think you know. Well, while all of you are telling your side of the story, I was listening very carefully. And one of you forgot a very important but seemingly minor detail. And it all has to do with the fact that I was closing up the diner when Mr. Stoddard was shot. You heard him, Sheriff. He just admitted it. He shot Stoddard. He must have had a gun after Stoddard passed by. He shot him dead in the street. Shut, Shut up, up Frank. Frank. Go on, Cookie. Well, as I said... I closed up the restaurant that night, seeing as I worked there on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and every second Saturday. How does that prove anything? I worked there on those days of the week because the rest of the week I work in the post office. I work at the post office receiving telegrams. You don't mean to suggest that, that I... I'm not suggesting nothing. I'm telling I was the only person manning the telegraph that day, and I didn't receive no telegram that day saying anyone was deathly ill, especially not from San Francisco. There's a special charge when a telegram comes from San Fran. Two bits. Payable upon receipt by the person for whom the message is intended. You didn't come into the post office that day, or any other day that week, Miss Peggy. And I'm sure the logbooks will bear out that no fee was paid that day for a message from San Fran. Well, I'm, I must have been confused. Maybe the message came in on Saturday or, or the day before. All the days that I was working at the post office, and I might not have said anything about it, 
thinking that I might be wrong and could have missed or forgotten about the telegram, except for one other thing. Posters. Posters? Well, the Sam Hill you talking about, old-timer? At the post office, they put up all kinds of posters. Wanted posters for criminals, of course, and also advertisements, new medicines, and remedies, even new kinds of candies. But there's ones I always took a fancy to. They were the ones for them so-called Wild West shows. Like the ones that made Buffalo Bill famous. What about them, Mr. Weaver? Hold your horses, son. We got plenty of time before sunrise. And I'm making my case. Well, sir, as I was saying, Buffalo Bill might be the most famous of those shows. But there was another one. Headed up by a man with one of those fancy Italian names like Chamboni or Stromboli or something like that. And his featured performer was a woman gunslinger who was rumored to be the match for Annie Oakley. But when they came to town, they didn't have a gunslinger no more. Said she and Stromboni had some sort of fallen out. And the name of that showgirl was Pistol Packin' Peggy. Annie Oakley, the miserable sideshow performer. She couldn't shoot her way out of a paper bag compared with me. So you are pistol-packing, Peggy. Shoo! I traveled more than ten miles to see your show once. I had a career once. But Stromboli, he put it out everywhere that pistol-packing Peggy was the thief and had her hand in the till. Now no one will hire me. I didn't steal a penny from him. All I did was demand what I was owed. But he said because I was a girl, I only got half of what the men was making. He said he owned me anyway. Said I was lucky to have that much. So yeah, I left the show. Who wouldn't? But he spread the word around, and I had to find work somewheres. So here I am, a singer in a tavern, in a one-horse town. But that don't make me a killer. Mr. Stoddard, he, he done me a kindness. What reason would I have to kill him? That's right. He done you a kindness. And you done him in. There's some guesswork here, but I reckon you are probably given most of the menfolk that pass through one version of the sob story or another, trying to get money off of them. Seeing as you were so hard up for money, then comes Mr. Stoddard, his pockets weighed down with dollar bills he won from Mel Gardner over there. You may have seen him win it. Lord knows Mr. Gardner can certainly make a fuss when he thinks he's being cheated, which ironically seems to happen any time he loses a hand or two. Mr. Stoddard has all that money weighing down his bindle, and you come a-slingling up to him, telling him some story about your paw, and he plunks down every last red cent you need plus two dollars more. Exactly. He gave me everything I needed and more. What reason could that be to shoot a man in cold blood? As it turns out, every reason. You figured a man who could afford to hand over that kind of green to a tavern girl must have a whole lot more on his person. If he could hand over twelve dollars, as if it was penny candy, he must be positively rolling in it all. So you went to his room when he was out and rifled through all his belongings while I was gone. Don't you remember me saying, Sheriff, that the room was awful messy for someone who was planning to ride out at first light? That's right, I do recollect that. His luggage looked like it had been hastily thrown together. Nothing was folded. I just figured he wasn't exactly a tidy sort. But what Cookie says makes sense. Someone went looking through his things, then tried to put it all back together in a big dang hurry. That's right. That's right. 
but then she went through all his belongings and didn't find no money, or very little anyway. So she figures he must have the money on him. It's all nonsense. Utter nonsense. So you went to the top of the tavern and shot him, killing Tom Stoddard, graveyard dead in the middle of the street with one shot. There's a hole in your theory, Mr. Weaver. Miss Peggy was backstage when Tom was shot, and I'm in the way of knowing that the backstage is no way out except through the stage. No windows, no doors. So you see, Miss Peggy couldn't have shot him. That ain't right at all, you darn fool. There's a way from the first floor to the second floor back there. It's a trap door. Miss Blake used it all the time. Right, so Miss Peggy, being the crack shot that she is, takes aim at Mr. Stoddard from an upstairs window, and bango! She hits her mark. Everyone in the tavern runs out, and Pistol Peckin' Peggy slides down through the trap door lickety-split. Everyone agrees she was the last one to the door, and she runs out to him, acting as if she's all concerned for him. And in reality, she's feeling him up to find his billfold. Except he ain't got no billfold on him, did he, Miss Peggy? I know he didn't, because I found it later in his room. And there weren't nothing in it but a dollar and a ticket for the next morning stage. <laughs> but I went and left the next morning, just like I told you, Mr. Stoddard. Went back to San Fran to see my father. No, you didn't. What? How can you say that? How would you know? Because you came back two days later. It takes nearly a week to reach San Francisco from here, and you weren't gone for more than two days. This may be a one-horse town, Miss Peggy, but because it is, I know when one of my long-time town folk leave, and I know when they come back again. Not two days after the death of Mr. Stoddard, you were back on the stage here in this tavern. You had another go-around with Mr. Cheney here. I remember because it was the last time. And after that, Frank decided he didn't want you anymore. <laughs> I guess I should have quit while I was ahead with you, Mr. Stoddard. Should have just rode out to Frisco, see what fortune had in store for me there. But the money. The money was just too much to resist. What money? I didn't have any money. I give you nearly every cent I had, but for three dollars. I'd already bought my ticket when we met. Yeah, and here you had me thinking you were some rich city man from Frisco. With your Sunday coat and your lousy fifteen dollars. And it turns out you were nothing but a do-gooding day laborer all along. Arrest her, Sheriff. She's the one who shot me through the heart. Peggy, you're to blame? I never would have thought it of you. What? You thought I had a heart of gold? <laughs> if I'd had a heart of gold, I would have plucked it out and sold it long ago. And now, gentlemen, I'll thank you to clear the way so I can be leaving. Peggy, don't do it. You'll only make it worse on yourself. As if it could possibly be worse. I'm poor. I'm a nobody. And now Mr. Stoddard wants to take my life? I think I'll take my chances out there. Stand away from that door, Cookie. You above all I've got reason to kill. You old blabbermouth fool. Why can't you just stick to cooking and mind your own business? That's right. Move aside. Now be a gentleman and hold the door for a lady. Gentlemen, I'll be wishing you a pleasant evening. Peggy! <laughs> my foot! You saw my foot, you dumb ox! I hit just where I was aiming. 
I told you I didn't kill him, Sheriff. When I kill something, it stays dead. Get that gun, Mel. Don't worry, I've got it. Pearl Handle Colt 45. Where did she get a gun like that? Give me a hand getting her over to the bar, will you, Cincinnati? Uh, so what's it gonna be, Tom? You gonna shoot me? You'll be dead right here. Or are you gonna drag me down to hell? Take my soul like something out of one of Esther Poe's stories. Neither, Peggy. Neither. I came back for justice, not revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If I was to try and take my revenge on you, I would have a price to pay in eternity. And since I've been granted this brief return to this world, I really don't want to put my soul in jeopardy. <laughs> Not over you. No. The law will deal with you. First man's law, and after that, God's law. Tom, do you have time to come over to the jail and swear out a statement? I think so, Sheriff, but just a little. Just enough time to swear out my last testament. For these reasons, and from the evidence given by myself and Mr. Weaver, I, Tom Stoddard, do swear out this affidavit that Miss Margaret Parker is solely responsible for putting an end to my natural life. Yep, sounds good to me. And as fine a statement as any judge could ask for. Now I just need to sign it, Tom. I don't know how much good it will do. After all, it's a statement of a man who's been dead for over a year before it was written. Well, I might just leave out the details of exactly when it was written if I can. But even so, we'll have the testimony of Cookie. And myself, at the very least. <laughs> we'll see that justice is done. I believe you will, Sheriff. I believe you will. And I believe with that, it's time for me to go. Be careful, Mr. Stoddard. It's powerful misty out here tonight. Wouldn't want you to fall and get hurt now. Thank you, Cookie. Where exactly are you off to, Mr. Stoddard? Do you know? Oh, Mr. Weaver, that's been a secret since the dawn of time. You don't really want me to go spoiling the surprise now, do you? Not when you're so close. No, no, I suppose not. But is it good? Can you tell me that? You see, I did me some killing back in the war. Mr. Weaver, you have nothing to worry about. You've been a God-fearing man all your life. Did the best you could with the time that was given to you. That's all anyone can ask for. Peggy, on the other hand, well, that's the one thing we're not supposed to judge now, isn't it? Goodbye, Cookie. See you soon. You see him, Sheriff? You see him in the mist? Just barely, Cookie. Looks almost as if the mist were passing through him, doesn't it? Yes, sir. It looks like he's headed up the hill towards... Yeah. Can you see him? Just his boots now, Cookie. Just his boots.
Margaret Arthur, also known as Pistol Packing Peggy, was put to death two months after the strange incident of the returned Mr. Stoddard. All her belongings were claimed by the courts, but strangely one item in particular was missing, her mother-of-pearl forty-five caliber pistol. It wasn't seen again until... Oh, well, that's a tale for another time. And speaking of time, it looks like ours is running out. Just as with Tom, we can only be here for so long. When the dawn comes, well, let's just say that if you don't go now, you might have to come with us. Best not to take chances. But you are welcome to come again, as you have before at night. We'll always be waiting for you here at the factory. You have been listening to The Factory. Return from Boot Hill is an original audio drama written, produced, edited, and directed for The Factory by Wesley Critchfield. Heard in the cast, Josh Mominy as Cincinnatus the Barkeep, Thomas Hogben as Cookie, Cletus McConville as the Sheriff, Rick Spavero as Frank Cheney, Kendra Akers as Peggy, with Wesley Critchfield as Tom Stoddard and Sean Dugan as Mel Garner and the Toymaker. All music in the factory is public domain and available from YouTube's audio resource and does not require accreditation. Please remember to subscribe to this channel to keep up with everything Club 40 Audio has to offer. Remember to visit us on Facebook and give us a like to receive updates and consider being a patron. For updates, short stories and more, check out our Tumblr feed. The factory is an original production from Club 40 Audio. All rights reserved. And that's this week's show. Please join us next week for more great audio drama. Don't forget to let us know what show you'd like to enter for Sonic Summerstock 2017. Please leave us mail and messages at sonicsociety at gmail.com. You can also find us at the Facebook groups, Twitter, and as always, head to electricvicuna.com for more great original Electric Vicuna productions. Heck, head down to Dramapod right now and subscribe to Electric Vicuna Productions Podcast. You'll get all of them in one place. For David Alt and myself, have a great evening, and we'll see you next week at the Sonic Society. Good night. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. This is Jack Ward, and from everyone here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you all safety and protection during the COVID-19 outbreak. Join us as we listen and imagine, and together we'll make it through this. Please be safe.